Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name is Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us. As we explore the mysteries of Scripture. The realm of God. And freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Today we're discussing a topic that can define, divide, and deafen our stance on things in regard to critical opposition. It has the potential to be an extremely broad topic, so I'm excited to see where where this one goes as we discuss what we're calling shattering the echo chamber. That's right, guys. It is again another great day to be with you, and I hope that you're ready to get into a pretty gnarly topic today. It has almost a spooky undertone to it, you know, shattering the echo chamber. Yeah, it's got, yeah. it's got a weird sound to it, but it is a thing, and I think it'll become evident what exactly the echo chamber is and why it's a good idea to be aware of it. Because the things we're going to address in this episode are really things that many have already started to catch on to. But uh, even as one echo chamber is exposed, we see that many more emerge and it becomes type of a circular rut that we can fall into. So um, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, yeah. As you were saying that, and we've said this before in another episode, but some of the things that we're going to address feel like they're right out of an episode of Netflix's Black Mirror. Where yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that existed. Exactly. That's true. It's all, almost sci-fi-ish. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. Um, dare we define echo chamber? I think we shall. All right. I, I found one you know, echo chamber. I don't know if it's a, an official Webster's, but I found <laughs> a definition of echo chamber. And it is an environment in which a person encounters only beliefs or opinions that coincide with their own so that their existing views are reinforced and alternative ideas are not considered. Yes, that's exactly the <laughs> definition I found. We found the same source. Yeah. Or, in other words, echo chambers further reinforce and strengthen our beliefs, whether right or wrong, while silencing and quelling out opposing ideas. Yeah. I added that. So, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, good, good thing to note, too. <laughs> Josh's dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and one, one thing that I would like to point out, too, is um, there's kind of two categories that I saw. Uh, one might find themselves in an echo chamber because they've been lured there, or they might be there because they've created it for themselves in some cases, I think. And both are dangerous. The latter one, though, I think, one who is there on their own accord is even more dangerous. But um, I know that I start off talking about the first idea, which is where you're lured into it. Mm -hmm. But um, what what do you want to hit next, Josh? You want to jump into that? Or you got something you want to start us off with? Well, I, I'd like to say right out of the gate is that um, up until a few weeks ago when we started really discussing uh, covering this topic, it's not something that I necessarily knew existed. But once I started realizing what it was, I did. I just had never uh, really put it into words like this. And so th I wanted to say that the reason that we're addressing this specifically is that we don't want to, as snake birds, just believe what we're fed to believe. We want to be disciples and to be willing to challenge our way of thinking, not being conformed to any box or system this world is attempting to stuff us into. We want to be like Jesus and follow in the footsteps and model uh, what he's left for us to follow, his footsteps. And so yeah. that's why I feel like, hey, what does this have to do with the Bible? What does this have to do with Snakebird? And the more that we talk, I pray that as you're listening, you're like, oh, this has everything to do with being a Snakebird. I think you're right. I think as we go, we're going to discover this. This has a lot, you know, to think about in Scripture. Connotation. And, yes, and, very much yeah. so. Okay, so... um I, I 
define another word that's very it defines very similar to the echo chamber um, called the hive mind. Okay, and it is defined as the collective thoughts, ideas, and opinions of a group of people, such as internet users, regarded as functioning together as a single mind. And with the current climate and obvious movements that we see emerge across the country. Uh, I think that an honest look at what's happening should be had in regard to this hive mind. One researcher in neuroscience says this about this um, collective hive mentality. So in order to form a hive mind, humans must have to act more like an integrated neural network. There are many forms that can take. In a sense, it's already happening thanks to cell phones and the internet. He continues, Now the real question is, what happens to our individuality if we give rise to a hive mind? Are our individual minds obliterated, or is it just business as usual while the collective intelligence supervenes on our brains unbeknownst to us? Now, right out of the gate, (laughs) when I was a kid, this type of talk was considered science fiction. Uh, I think of a certain movie that was made famous, uh, the term Skynet. Yeah. And uh, for the most part, I think it was topics that were left to the Trekkies and Comic-Con crowd. It wasn't really a thing, but perhaps even now, you, listener, are thinking to yourself, for crying out loud, what, what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? And... I've actually addressed some of these uh, ideas in previous episodes, like the one on cancel culture, and I know that I had mentioned Slave to a Thousand Masters in the episode on uh, identity in Christ, but if we are to believe the Bible, and the Bible tells us that there are spiritual forces at work behind mass movements of people, the narrow way in the way that leads to death, then it would be no surprise that those spiritual forces would take advantage of technology of our day and use that technology to mold masses of people. And um, that sounds familiar, I think, because there are many verses in the Bible that suggest the Antichrist will use mass manipulation on the world. And... Josh, if you want to add any anything to that before I jump, I'm going to give a little history lesson here on mass manipulation and why I think it's relevant in this conversation. Okay, yeah. If if you don't mind, I was just going to talk about one of the main examples of a cultural echo chamber that we get stuck in or that we are placed in or we place ourselves in, Yeah, and that is social media. Yes. Um, it's not something that we had access to um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And then MySpace started, Yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, you had your top eight and Tom was one of them. Yep. He just made himself one of them. And then, uh, next thing along came this juggernaut called, uh, Facebook. Yeah. And it wasn't even made for grandmas. <laughs> it was made for college kids and it just took off. And now we have all these different types of social media, but the juggernaut, of course, is Facebook. And we find that it's curated and aggregated surrounding us with like-minded posts. That's where you start to get that echo chamber feeling because there's algorithms delivering information based on your prior searches and even the region that you're in. I, I didn't realize this until maybe just a few days ago that Um, You could search for something about politics and maybe here in Texas, we might get one answer because Texas skews one way. But if somebody is searching California, they might get a whole different set of answers. Yeah. Because of how they typically believe. Which is a scary thought. It really is. And then come to find out, um, we can talk about this. I don't know if you have it later on, but uh, I watched recently The Social Dilemma and they were talking about fake news and they were talking about how the algorithms 
uh, it's just a computer. It was told what it's supposed to do, and it's trying to do it to the best of its ability. Yeah. Even to the point where it's delivering, uh, it could be what's considered fake news, with the intent of inciting the strongest emotional response available in you to keep you online and to essentially rabbit hole you yeah. uh, because of their recommendations on what to click on next. And it's so funny because I know I'm a I'm a traditional rabbit holer, you know. And of <laughs> yeah. course, uh, if you've listened to us for any amount of time, Stephen has uh, claimed a rabbit hole or two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, one of the one of the craziest lines on that on that show is that if you're online and you're not purchasing a product, then you're the product. And I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, right? You know, and it's so, scary. And, and it's not hard to find, especially as it puts you in these echo chamber pods yeah it's not hard to find a uh, um, hundred voices that agree with you yeah and then all of a sudden it starts to silence the the people that would be in opposition to you that's true that's true and and one thing to think about with all that too is that while it is a computer and it's designed to recognize habits and ultimately make money um, that's kind of a shallow um, sight of what's going on because mm-hmm. there's really deeper agendas at play. Yeah. And um, obviously a lot of speculation that can be had in that, but it's it's a serious thing. Yeah. That we it, could be controlled. Yeah. And the the um, the drug aspect of it where, uh, and I've, I've heard this before, but they reiterated it in the movie or in the show is that you get from uh, comments, likes, shares, you get hits of dopamine in your yeah. brain when yeah. people are responding to your posts that you put online. And I'll admit, I'll post something and gleefully go back a few times to see if there are any responses or likes to my posts. And it's a little bit depressing to know that I am looking for a chemical reaction um, trying to get another hit. And yeah, I mean, well, it's the day and age we live in. Well, yeah, I think we all do. Yeah, and I know that there are certain uh, things that happen in our body naturally, like we start to run and we get endorphins. And but I don't, I don't want, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to rely on electronic, uh, you know, yeah. interactions for dopamine. Yeah, you don't want to keep returning to the technological dope dealer down the street <laughs> yeah. and getting this hit. Well, it feels like the mouse, you know, <laughs> clicking the button, going, "Give me more food or water," and that. Yeah, oh, and, and all you got to do is scroll up with the thumb, and a new thing go. pops up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Lab rats. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, I mean, you just mentioned something else where they talk about make sure that you always have something new at the top because that has that feel of like, oh. A new sense of new. Yeah. It keeps you plugged in. Ooh. Yeah. It's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. And before you get too far into the new, let me take us back to 1891. Okay. <laughs> All right, bear with me for a minute. There is a man named Edward Bernays who was born in 1891, died in 1995. And Bernays was known as the father of public relations. Some of his books were called Crystallizing Public Opinion, Public Relations, and Propaganda. Now get this. Bernays worked alongside a man named Carl Bayor, who... President Woodrow Wilson hired to persuade Americans to support entering World War One. Most Americans didn't want to do that, so they formed this committee called CPI, Committee on Public Information. And one research notes the following about this historic event. 
Their pioneer propaganda campaign was so successful that Hitler and his propaganda minister studied and employed our propaganda techniques. Hitler was so impressed with American propaganda that he even hired Bayor, the same guy, during the 30s to handle propaganda for Nazi Germany in the United States. And then he goes on to note that President Roosevelt and Herbert Hoover went on to rehire this guy, Bayor, years after he worked for Hitler. So he's this guy that has figured out how to manipulate people mm-hmm. back in the 30s. Wow. And here's my point in laying all that out, that if this type of nefarious practice was so successfully used starting in the late 30s, then only imagine now the levels of deception that are being used. And I'm, I'm not trying, we just talked about some of it with the social dilemma and all that. And I'm not trying to encourage anyone to get off the grid and become hermits because we're, we're told in the Bible that we must be in the world, interacting with the world. And of course, there's the distinction of not being of the world. But Christians, it's not fear-mongering or paranoia to be aware of manipulation around us. So while this type of thing may seem scary, uh, we as Christians should remember that this type of manipulation can be shielded from luring us into its tentacles. How? Well, firstly, I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to episode 38 titled Fighting Our Identity in Christ, because um, people who are fortunate enough to recognize that they are in an echo chamber will realize that they are unknowingly identifying in a master who controls them. Um, They're regurgitating something that is not their own. Mm -hmm. And our identity in Christ plays a huge part in that and our current climate. Um, But for one who is walking in newness of life, uh, newness that comes with a new spirit, then their words will not be echoes of truth, but they will be conduits of truth itself, which transcends these echo chambers. Mm. So So I would highly encourage you to go check out the uh, Finding Our Identity in Christ. But I thought that that was a very interesting history lesson into, because now, I mean, if they they persuaded that many people back then with those, you know, primitive ways of mass manipulation, oh, it's happening with the endorphins, (laughs) the things science have figured out about psychology, how our brains work. Um, I just, I found it very uh, alarming, actually. Mm-hmm. with what we're up against now, but that also a Christian has a way out of this. Yeah, and to think about propaganda, because w- when you think about it in the old-timey sense, you're like, well, that's pretty obvious to identify, you know, when they're saying uh, Russia does this, but America does this, and and we've been watching shows about spies recently, and they're talking about the propaganda, and they're both dropping truth bombs on their people, but one of them is not true, and yeah. you're sitting there going, okay, well, which one is it? Yes, and then I I don't know how many people would just be disgusted to learn that I can't give a percentage, but how much on the internet is what we would consider modern day propaganda trying to pull us or manipulate us in one way or another. For sure. For sure. And I want to note too, for some listeners out there, I do realize that there's a high number of Christians who you might recognize as people who are in fact living in echo chambers themselves. Mm -hmm. We're not going to sit here and play this holier than thou game where um, you know, we're offering you the truth here and we're, (laughs) because that can sound like an echo chamber. Yeah. 
So I am in no way suggesting that because someone claims the title Christian that they are transcending these echo chambers, because the truth is people who are religious can be some of the most grievous offenders. And that would really take uh, me to the next echo chamber that I thought of, which would be one that someone has knowingly created to support their own agenda, which you could be religious or not either way. And that would be um, surrounding ourselves with people who only think like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first scenario was about being lured into it. And this next one we see would be creating it for ourselves. And this is actually a topic that I think almost everyone needs to hear because every one of us is exactly the same, at least at a primal level, in the sense that we want to appease and confirm what we want to be true, not necessarily what is true, but what we want to be true. And I think it can be broken down with pretty much any angle you look at it. For an example, I personally know atheists who hold to their belief that there's no God, not because of the science, but simply because of the fact that they would be responsible on a whole other level if they actually accepted the opposing belief. And what do they do? They surround themselves with people who think just like them. There's a lot of them. And they find studies and experts to confirm what they want to be true. Mm -hmm. And likewise, I know spiritual people who are simply under the title of their religion because they are terrified of the thought that when we die, that might be it. And it scares them into a belief, whether true or not, that confirms what they want to be true. And I know that there's a lot of other categories that people fall into. So rather than dissect every angle, um, I just quickly wanted to touch on the root of this issue that exists in each of us. And I believe it's fear. And fear can be motivated by insecurity, the need for approval from others, and a host of other things. And I think every one of us could look back to even high school and remember groups that hung out together. There was the jocks, the cheerleaders, um, those who were passionate about making good grades. And I don't have to keep on going because we all remember that atmosphere. But the template didn't really stop at high school. We see it actually amplified into adulthood with the whole keeping up with the Joneses effect. And this urge to be set apart is truly deeper psychologically than you might think. Uh, A certain Dr. Gail Gross, or Gross, one of the two, uh, who's an expert in these fields, says this, In the early days of mankind, the human body's fight-or-flight syndrome was meant to protect you from the dangers in your environment. Today, however, your fears often center around emotions rather than physical dangers, although your body does not know how to distinguish between the two. And um, when Dr. Gross mentioned the early days of mankind, I'm working off the platform of people combating wild animals outside the confines of a metropolitan city. (laughs) Um, If she didn't mean that, then I'm more than happy to address that whenever it is we get to our next portion of creation versus evolution. But regardless, I believe what she said was true. Um, For an example, in Jesus' day, when the Pharisees were creating their echo chamber, it was because their character and emotions were being threatened by truth. And their echo chamber was founded on fear and control. The possibility that their status as religious leaders would be revoked if people started to question their authenticity. It caused them to to create this echo chamber of propaganda and fear, which they used to control the people in their day. And now flash forward 2000 years later, our global society has that same fight or flight system programmed into our brains. You might even say that an attack on our character in our current time is just as deadly to our livelihood than a raging bear in 4000 BC. And people, whether they're right or wrong, they're going to surround themselves with people who think exactly like them in order to reinforce this stance 
that they have. And the whole system is based on which group is the loudest. People will surround themselves with enough people who sound just like them that when they all scream together, they're the only ones who can be heard. And I just want to say that even if our stance, guys, is correct, this is not the way to treat others if we are Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And... um, I just want to read Jude 17 through 22 right here, too, because it's so important. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts that do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt, saving others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh." So um, I, I know I just went on a, on a, <laughs> a soapbox there, but um, it was a lot that just came at me during my study mm-hmm. that just flowed in this climate that we see and how we shouldn't jump on a bandwagon necessarily when we're trying to smash our belief down someone else's throat or yeah. create it for ourselves. Yeah, which is funny because I'm going to echo <laughs> nice. some of the things that you say. Um <laughs> And the the biggest example that we can point to is Jesus. And I'll say something controversial here. Jesus is not a Republican, and he's not a Democrat. He loves unconditionally. And I heard this the other day, and I loved it, that during his time in, in person here on earth, Jesus was too religious for the worldly and too worldly for the religious. Mm-hmm. And that's a trait we can learn from that during his ministry, he definitely wasn't shielded or insulated. He reached out to everyone. He, he don't get it twisted. He stood firmly on his convictions, but he wasn't afraid of debate or challenge. And you were asking, why are we in an echo chamber? What has caused us, if we are, to be in one? And I wanted to give a little presentation that I found is societally, we've had a massive shift in how we communicate and how we approach truth. This is something that you mentioned. Uh, we've moved truth from being a matter of reason to a matter of feeling rather than something discovered through a logical discourse and community. Truth is now, to many people, discovered primarily through felt experience as individuals. What matters most is whether I feel something to be true for me, and this only has implications for others insofar as they must respect the viability of my truth and not threaten it with their truth. Mm -hmm. So you have this conflict of like, well, that's my truth, but that's not that's not your truth. And and it's like, well, truth is supposed to be absolute. Exactly. And it used to be that if another's understanding of truth conflicted with ours, we could engage with and entertain their view, potentially letting it challenge and adjust our own view and vice versa. Not anymore. Now, if there's understanding of truth challenging ours, we mute them, cancel them, accuse them of bigotry or result to belittling them and dunking on them on social media. We are quick to want to shut down debates or silence ideas when they make us uncomfortable. As Bible believers, contending for the truth should be a large part of our nature, in love, of course. 
Um, I found an example just recently, and, and this is one that's kind of out there, but JK Rowling has been talking about trans people and she hasn't said anything out of the ordinary, but she has divided groups. I mean, she has hurt people and now they've got people from the Harry Potter franchise coming to her aid and being on her side. And then you have others that are like, how could you even say that? And yet there is no room for discussion. It's really just echo chambers on echo chambers on echo chambers on the division of it. And it's just so sad because um, one author I found suggested the radical idea that we as Christians are actually just as complicit as the secular world in our desire and tendency to mute differing voices or avoid threatening ideas. He said, we've cultivated our own safe spaces. Remember that, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. term um, as pastors, parents, and institutions Uh, because we've shielded our churches, our children, and our students from potentially hazardous influences. Some accuse modern Christians of anti-intellectualism. Meanwhile, giving a bit of credence to that statement, much of evangelical Christianity has embraced the more therapeutic and emotional experience of faith above theology and the foundational truth it stands on. Poor teaching habits and avoidance of difficult doctrine means that for many Christians, religious identity is only as secure as the fillings that accompany it, which is to say not very secure at all. When difficult questions arise and one is forced to wrestle with the intellectual scaffolding of belief, the house of cards quickly collapses, as we often see in accounts from those who have left the faith. Untrained in the art of logic, reasonable discourse, and articulating what they believe, many evangelicals turn out to be just as fragile as the secular snowflakes they critique. There's some truth in that. I mean, it's just sad because I've seen it, you know, and of course you look at people and you're like, well, you're a snowflake. And and yet it's... Because of the echo chamber, it's on both sides. Yes, it's true. And as you were reading that, I think of, um, you know, it's, we always say it's a snake bird topic, and it, it truly is because there are certain things that we, we've we made up our mind because God's Word says that it's so that we don't cross certain lines. Mm-hmm. And there's some people that want to stretch those lines when they shouldn't be stretched. Yes. But at the same time, we create an echo chamber that's like we, we we're so worried about getting even close to that line that we're going to create another line that God didn't create. And that becomes an echo chamber. Yeah. It's a barrier within a barrier. Yeah. And it's so, it's so, yeah, I just, that whole thing got me thinking that's, that's a great thing to point out. Well, then that's, I mean, in order to shatter the echo chamber and that's where I landed and I guess we'll talk about it. Um, there's going to be one, real thing that we have to stand on and I'll I'll just say that there as a as a cliffhanger until we get there because <laughs> okay. I know you've got more to say. Well, I just I know that there's there's cultural barriers and issues that are they're never going to be agreed upon. But when Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, he was describing the church, the body of Christ, whose unity should I've used the word transcend so many times, but I, it really came to me in this study. But our unity should transcend any cultural or mental issues by the many different backgrounds of those who make up that body. Uh, when Jesus comes back for his church, the body of Christ, I think we need to make sure that we're not living in an ungodly echo chamber. 
that we're not a terror among the wheat that has mm-hmm. stretched God's truth. Um, not that any of us are perfect, because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we should all admit that we fall into echo chambers. Mm-hmm. I have. I do. And I think we should be honest with ourselves that that happens to us and, and be mature enough to go to God for the uh, bringing us out of that rut yeah. when it happens. But um, as tempting as it might be for us to push whatever we want to be true, let us first love above all, because mm-hmm. without that, any work that we thought was noble is going to get burned up. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's that's my two cents on what I think Scripture says about surrounding ourselves with people who only think like us in this echo chamber. Yeah, there's a lot of self-confrontation that's needed. Because, <laughs> I mean, even today, just with the last minute prep I was doing, I'm sitting there going, is this real? Is this an echo chamber that I have fallen into? And... I mean, that's going to be one of those things that I feel like you have to revisit often. And and what I was going to say, and, and we'll get into this of keys to breaking the echo chamber, is uh, truth. Truth. Yeah. And you talked about love, and you have to have love in order to speak the truth. Yeah. Because um, as Christians, truth has to be contended for. And I believe that it's going to be the thing that sets people free. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me think of first Peter three fifteen. but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we have to be able to be defenders of the truth and, and not in like a harsh way and not in like a, well, this is what the Republican God says, you know, (laughs) and this is what, this is why you have to be like this. I mean, because I, I pray that anyone that's listening is like, can't just say that you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. I pray that there's no one listening that has that hard line of a stance because that to me is living in an echo chamber and and the same vice versa that you can't be a non-Christian and not be a Republican. I'm there. There's too much um, at stake biblically and in this world to start putting those kind of uh, monikers on things. That's true. And I think of, you know, as Christians, I know we've said this in the past that we are Christians first, and then if we find ourselves patriotic, we are that second. Mm-hmm. And so I think of if our first goal as a Christian is is to spread the good news of what Jesus has done for us, the salvation that he gives to us, um, think about how you're going to win someone over to that truth yes. that you're talking about. and. You have to you have to realize that they're assuming you're in an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing to think about. I just thought of this as you were talking. Um, assume that the other person is not in an echo chamber, mm-hmm. and that will open up at least a bridge to talk. Yeah. Even if you think you know the end result, you might find you don't. Yeah. And so that's that's one thing to think of too. Is assume they're not just regurgitating actually talk to them and that bridge that opens up might lead them to Christ mm-hmm. or you. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if well, we're talking about being self-confrontational that's here. That's the truth. Yeah. Because 
I think with internet culture and social media culture, we've come to this uh, wall where we feel like we're never going to win an argument ever again. Yeah. And we're never going to be able to persuade somebody with the truth because everybody has their own version of what the truth is. But Mm -hmm. if we're able to bring it back to what absolute truth is and we're able to allow the Holy Spirit working in and through us to actually persuade that person then maybe that would open that opportunity. So I wanted to say this about contending for the truth as Christians and as we're doing it in love, like you said, is that even as we admit that the pursuit of truth will not be comfortable, Christians should be mindful of not causing unnecessary discomfort in how we contend for the truth. There has to be a middle ground between being an online jerk on one side and only interesting in owning an opposing voice or being a hypersensitive snowflake on the other with no tolerance for their views being challenged. And here's a few ways to contend for the truth. Uh, first and foremost, we want to watch our tone because sometimes the truth will be traumatic to certain people regardless of how it's presented. Some truths are going to be traumatic. The best presentation of uh, the standards of what God would require for biblical sex, for example, will still be accused of being hateful, bigoted, and threatening by many. Still, one's tone can go a long way towards creating space for difficult ideas to be heard and rationally engaged. Uh, An aggressive delivery will naturally be met with a defensive response, but a logical and loving delivery couched in empathetic understanding, gentleness, and respect might be met in openness to dialogue. Tone can go a long way toward creating space for difficult ideas to be heard and rationally engaged. I mean, you think about Jesus, if when he encountered the Samaritan woman, if he led with, you've had five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. Who are you, lady? (laughs) And I mean, she probably would have been on the defensive right away. And he didn't stray from the hard stuff, but he didn't start there. He began with a tone of invitation, not accusation, and his tone made it possible for uh, her to receive. And then uh, another one is don't just teach, be teachable. Part of why so much truth telling goes nowhere in the contemporary debates is because the truth tellers are only telling. They are teachers who refuse to be teachable. In the chorus of loud, proud, confident commentary from self-proclaimed experts, a person who speaks truth with the posture of humility, listening, and learning stands out. The quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry approach from James doesn't mean we never speak or never become angry. It just means we are quicker to listen, even when what we are listening to is hard to hear. It's crucial that Christians don't fall into the worldly traps of ignoring or silencing facts or arguments simply because they challenge our paradigm. In Post-Truth Age, Abdu Murray writes, If the evidence fits our preferences and opinions, then all is well and good. If it doesn't, then the evidence is deemed inadmissible or offensive, with offense being kind of solvent against otherwise sound arguments. When Christians are faced with sound arguments on another side of a contested issue, even if those arguments trigger us and cause emotional strain, we ought not avoid or attack. We ought to listen and engage. This is part of what it means to both love God with our minds and to love our neighbor as ourself. Yeah, that's good. 
Um, you know, it kind of it reminds me of our very first episode mm. describing the dove and the snake. Yeah, the gentleness and the um, the quick to strike with the more wisdom yeah. in you. Just and, um, walking in that balance. Yeah, it really does. And yeah, I think too. A lot of times, we as Christians, when we see somebody approaching that line where they're trying to draw a bridge to an opposing what we would consider an orthodox belief or something, mm-hmm. um, they assume that the person is treading on luke lukewarmness. Mm. They're like you're you're going there because you're lukewarm because you don't truly believe. And I think we might hear them out before we say that. Yes. Because there might be times, like you said, that they're being a listener and they're trying to establish that relationship with somebody so that they can show them the truth that the Spirit is uh, pushing them to reveal in a certain light. Yeah. And so to think that, um, I think, and I've done that too before, I I hear somebody start saying something and phrasing it a certain way, and I think they're lukewarm. Mm. But I I should hear them out because they might be trying to, to build a bridge that couldn't be built the other way. Yeah. And and I'll gotta be careful there too. <laughs> well, it's funny because as you're talking, I'm like I'm crafting my response, but I should also be listening. And I think <laughs> that happens a lot online where somebody's saying something, and in verses actually listening or reading the whole post of what they're trying to c- communicate. Yeah, we're we're just loading up, yeah. getting ready for our next you know volley of arrows. Going back, going, oh, 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 let me tell you this, you know, versus really listening. Yeah. Because sometimes it's somebody just saying, hey, I'm going to stop arguing and I'm going to start listening. Mm -hmm. That actually changes the paradigm. Yeah. In a, in a shallow way, if you think about just the first um, response to what you're doing, if you just lock and load and and go after them, you, you sometimes make yourself look like a buffoon. Yeah. But we learn in the Bible that even a fool is thought wise of kept silent. Yeah. So if they think you're <laughs> being true. quiet, they might yeah. be more, hey, this is a wise guy. Well, and, and it might open a bridge. Yeah. And I heard win the argument, lose the person at times. Yeah. And maybe it's just like... Jesus didn't lose arguments, but there are times where he kept silent. Mm -hmm. And there are times where he could have blown people away. He could have annihilated them. He knew what was going on in their hearts. And yet at times he was so gracious just to say the softest thing. He was at at times, you know, and there were other times where he was very contentious because he knew what it meant for the people. And I think, you know, especially against the Pharisees, he was very um, disgusted by their practices and he wanted to redeem them and restore them out of those things that he was, I mean, he was boisterous, but I also feel like there is that point of going, hey, I'm going to be wise about this. And and that falls into that snake bird attitude of going, hey, I could blow somebody away with my response right now, yeah. but I'm going to walk in gentleness. Yeah, so true. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that I really only did one takeaway point okay. w- with this episode because I, I really laid into the other part of it <laughs> yeah, previously. Yeah. So keys to breaking out of the echo chamber. Um, one that I, I came away with at the end here, because we've talked about this, this um, coming to the other side, building a bridge and all of this. But I, I also, in the back of my mind, I know the words of Jesus that said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. And as we near the uh, the end times, there is going to be 
a separation of a true Christian from what the world looks like. Do we want to be in peace with everybody? Yes, but there's also going to be a separation. So I want to, um, to say embrace becoming a minority. To be outside of an echo chamber means that you're not only different from what people usually see, but because people fear what they don't understand, some will hate you for your separation. And I think of the movie Divergent, where we see the main character, whose name is Triss, becomes factionless. And that might sound totally nerdy to you, but I thought it was a pretty good movie. And people, they hated her because they were threatened by what they didn't understand in the movie. Um, And the thing about being a part of this minority group is that you're really not alone. In fact, we see time and time again that God is a warrior for the factionless. And I would like to read some things that I heard said by a certain David Pallison in an interview that he did. This sense of being an outcast, you are rejected, being isolated from people, and then you think how the love of God actually comes to that and says, the one who is the outcast, the one who is despised and shamed is actually my beloved. I welcome you. I am yours. Come in. I am your father. You are not cast out. Or you think it through the lens of you are dirty, you are unclean, you're a horrible person, you are despicable, you're disgusting. And here is a God that says, you are not dirty, I have washed you. Even though your sins are as scarlet, you are white as snow, you have been cleansed by my love. In Isaiah 1. And then one final one would be degraded, you are dehumanized, you don't matter, you are invalidated. And we have a God who says no. It's right there in Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four. He has not treated lightly the affliction of the afflicted. He has not abhorred and pulled himself back. We count. We are cared for. We matter. And I think that this is relevant because so many people are in these echo chambers because they're searching to be identified in something. Mm. They're reaching for this acceptance. They're reaching for these things. And to step out of that echo chamber, you feel like an outcast. And so I think of of these things that you will be hated by the world for stepping out of an echo chamber. But it's so important that you do because you should know just how precious that rejection really is. And I also don't want to make this um, this get used to being a minority sound like you have no one who shares in your like-mindedness in Christ, because you do. And when you find that circle of true believers who you can do life with and come alongside you, then cherish that, because that is something that God desires for you to have. Uh, the pastor at our church sometimes reestablishes this idea of four elements that should be present in every Christian's life, and that is God, God's Word, God's people, and God's mission. And when we really think about it, if any of these elements are off in our life, then we're going to run into some a level of tension. And one of those elements is God's people. And I, this is the family that God desires for us to be close to, not an echo chamber, but God knows that we need um, that. And that is part of what the church is. And mm. so to step out of an e- echo chamber might, in a sense, seem like you're an outcast, but it it actually opens a door to truth. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're so right. And, um, you know, as you were talking about that, I went back to my little list of what echo chambers do. And I was thinking the one thing that you were stating from the opposite side is one of the things that it does is it reduces the opportunity for empathy. Because when you are in that, we're all correct and we're all right, then you're not recognizing what 
anybody outside of that chamber is going through, which means you can't sympathize with them. You can't emphasize with them. And uh, when we shatter the echo chamber by contesting it with love and when contesting it and contending for it with truth, then we actually have an opportunity to see things through the lens of someone else. And so that's how we shatter the echo chamber is contend for the truth. And when we're arguing, we find that middle ground, we watch our tone, and then we be teachable. And I feel like it's that whole start with yourself, the plank eye verse, Mm -hmm. you know, don't go after the speck in your brother's eye when you have a two by four in your own eye. It's never too late to listen and grow. And I pray that we never come to the point in our lives where we can't change our opinion on something if it's actually needing to change. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be locked into an opinion that's wrong for eternity. I think you were talking about that. We don't want to, you know, just be sitting there in in a religious echo chamber going, "Well, this is this is the right one for me." And yeah. and end up actually wasting our potential. Um and then this is another way that we can shatter the echo chamber is expand our circle of information and influence because Proverbs 11:14 says in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And uh, we don't want yes people. We don't want someone that only echoes the same thoughts that we have. Uh, We want to meet different types of people. Um, The pastor from our church says, uh, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Mm, Yeah, And so it's like, well, who are we surrounding ourselves with and how are they influencing us? Are they influencing an echo chamber? Yeah, that's true. And then do what we can to diversify our networks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not easy. That's, yeah. you know, um, but also listen to different viewpoints, um, even if we don't agree. And that might mean uh, get your news from a different news source and, and don't just dwell on it. But yeah. Um, that might even mean stepping away from news altogether for a little uh, yes, bit. Yes, yeah. There is a comedian named John Oliver who has a news um, channel, or a, it's a comedy show that presents news, and he does it from a very, very left-wing stance. And sometimes when it's clean enough, I'll try to watch it. Sometimes he gets pretty raucous. So uh, I just I appreciate being able to see things presented from the other slant and why my heart should break for some of the things that are outside of our control in terms of politics and things like that. And, and it's, to me, it feels healthy to at least understand where somebody might be coming from, uh, on a viewpoint from the other side of the, of the, the lines in a sense. And then the last thing that I would say is we want to make sure that we can agree to disagree you know, because it's possible to stand side by side with a person on behalf of a cause without seeing eye to eye on every cause. Yeah. You know, and and maybe our um, maybe even our motives for agreeing with that person about that specific thing won't be the same. But it's just sad how these lines have divided us for so long. And um, we're just we're just asking God to come and rule and reign and reestablish His kingdom to where it's not even an issue. So yeah. I feel like those are some of my takeaways on how to break out of the echo chamber. Absolutely, I'm sure you guys have some ideas of that you've seen in your everyday experiences. Yeah. Um, 
shoot those to us. We'd like to we'd like to hear from y'all because this is just me and Josh who who studied on this this week, and we would love to hear. There, there's so many people out <laughs> yeah. there that have encountered yeah. so many different angles. I found theologians. I found philosophers. I found oh, yeah. college professors. I neuroscientists. <laughs> I found random <laughs> anonymous <laughs> internet commenters. <laughs> I heard people commenting that their voice didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I mean this this goes deep. It does. So yeah, we'd we'd really. Uh, appreciate hearing from you on what you were being spoken to about this during this uh, podcast. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And uh, I know that y'all, I hope this was a breath of fresh air after a five-parter previously. <laughs> because we, we got into this and it was almost like new territory. We're like, what do we do? I don't know what to do with my hands. Because we, we just, we've been on Abraham for five yeah. episodes. So yeah. we hope y'all enjoyed this one. And it really came at a, a decent time because it's, it's quite a topic right now. Right, yeah. But um, anyway, uh, we, we're glad that you guys uh, are here with us. And hey, if you can find it in your schedule... Um, Go like us and uh, give us a good rating if you could. We're talking about algorithms this episode, and we want to utilize those algorithms to help push <laughs> the Snakebird podcast out there for gospel reasons, not for echo chamber reasons. Yeah, take it back. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> flip it on its head. Use it for God's glory. I'll use the algorithm. <laughs> no, I, you use the algorithm, guys. Please. You know why they're called that, right? Why? Because he invented the internet algorithm. Clap. Very, very nice. It's it's so (laughs) bad. I hadn't heard that one. I I just, I've heard it somewhere, but I think I just made it up. I don't know. Well, if you just made it up, you need to post it. That was was pretty good. But then I'll I'll be looking for dopamine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, we ask you to message us. If you can, um, you can do it on Facebook. Just send us a direct message or even start a comment chain. Or if you want to email us directly, you can do that at connect at basnakebird.com. And once again, thank you to all of our faithful listeners. I was looking again, and I know Stephen does, but we are seeing faithful listeners across all of the United States. Mm -hmm. And now we've had some uh, recently in Ireland and in France and then some in New Zealand. And that's just, uh, it's kind of cool to geek out about saying like, hey, we're we're down under. (laughs) It's it's truly humbling, guys. We're, We're so glad that you are tuning in we hope you keep doing it and top of the morning to you if you're listening (laughs) from Ireland so probably thinking they're probably laughing saying oh those rednecks really butchered us oh I I I hope so I hope you're laughing about that that's great yeah so always remember whatever you do wherever you go no matter what social media throws at you there's never been a better time to hop on out of the echo chamber and be be a snake bird. bird